Hello. Hi, Mom. Hi. I haven't seen you in person for over a year, so looking forward to seeing you in person this summer. Yes, very excited. So what do you think people have in store for this episode? A beautiful conversation with two people who fully understand the process of developing a story. What's beautiful about it? It opened my mind to look at design in an entirely different way. You open an app and you push the button, but to think that there's so much more that goes into the creating of it, to thinking that this company is putting behind design is beautiful. Yeah, I think they're seeing a lot of demand for it. Mm, I would expect that. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin, and I could not be more excited that my first guest for the second season of the podcast is Kelly Watkins, CEO of Abstract. After Kelly shined in senior marketing roles at GitHub and Slack, everyone wanted her as an advisor. In 2020, Abstract recruited her as a board member and within six months convinced her to take the CEO role. The company launched in 2017 to help designers collaborate on design files using Git, the same version control protocol that software engineers use to collaborate on code files. And by the time Kelly joined, Abstract had over 7,000 customers, including a third of the Fortune 500. They had raised over $50 million from VCs, including Lightspeed, Cowboy, First Round. But a shift in the way designers work posed an existential threat to Abstract's business and created a huge opportunity. Kelly stepped in as CEO. In this moment where design more broadly was changing, there were two pieces here. On the one hand, the tools themselves were changing. Design, like many disciplines, is moving away from files to cloud-based docs. Figma certainly is the leader in this with their browser-based design tool, but Sketch, Adobe, lots of folks are moving away from files to have stuff stored in the cloud. So that whole Git thing is made for files. And so right. you're coming in at really a big inflection point for the company. When you and I worked together, what we zeroed in on was that it's not just the technology that's changing, what companies want and expect from design is changing as well. McKinsey came out with this report showing that design is a differentiator for businesses. And companies, I think, are starting to realize that design, it's no longer about aesthetics or about visuals or about stuff looking good, that design is going to be the thing that's going to deliver against business outcomes. And so right as I walked in, it was a really exciting opportunity to think about how did we as a company use our expertise facilitating design collaboration and make a product that could make that possible in this new world? Tell me about the shift that you landed on that's kind of the central part of the narrative. It's really this shift from outputs to outcomes. It's no longer about design as a service function where design is simply executing tactically on screen design or on UI. Because businesses want more from their design teams, design has this seat at the table. It's really about design as a strategic function. How does design solve problems? How does design not just tactically execute, but actually bring design thinking, design problem solving, all of this stuff to bear against 
the outcomes and the goals that the business is trying to achieve. And so if you're moving from outputs to outcomes, there has to be more intelligent and intentional ways of doing all the work of design. Design teams today have incredible tools for for producing visual assets, but no tools exist that really facilitate gathering requirements, cross-functional reviews on the work, the ability to sort of tell the story of a design over time and have any sort of sense of how things are going in a way that I think leads to greater insight, greater efficiency, greater effectiveness. What we felt like was missing was a design intelligence platform. I've had a lot of CEOs on this podcast who are now well known for these big naming the shift Tian Suo from Zwara. Mm-hmm. We now live in a subscription economy. David Cancel from Drift, conversational marketing. Right. And each one of them hated the thing when they came up with it. <laughs> and I think this is helpful because I think nobody ever totally loves it when they first hear it. And I remember like your initial reaction, design intelligence. Mm, I don't know. Sounds a little wonky or am I remembering yeah. that right? We started working together. If you remember, Andy, we were so early in the product journey, right? We really conceived of notebooks as a new product strategy in July. And I think we started working together mid-August. So we were really early in the development of that product. And it was really important to me to get the story right early on because I felt like the story would give life and parameters to what we were building. And so I think for me, wrestling with design intelligence wasn't just like, is this the narrative? But it was really like, is this the vision? Is this the product strategy? Is this the thing that we're trying to build? And yeah, I I, I had to sit with it a little bit. It wasn't like, ugh, I hate this. It was more, I, I had to sit with it because the bar wasn't that these were the right words to say. It was that this was an ideal and a vision that we could live. And like design intelligence is a really high bar. It's a substantial thing to try to create in the world. So I think a lot of it was trying to wrestle with and and reconcile that path. Like, was that our path and could we achieve it? And I think we even talked about too, already Gong had been talking about revenue intelligence. Right. But it felt like it was a different domain and a different thing, but it still sort of fit. So how does the notebook product deliver on the narrative of design intelligence. We've certainly been pushing on this, like what are the dimensions of design intelligence? I think early on, as we were working on the intersection of the narrative and the product strategy, we felt like there were three main areas that we were trying to solve for. One, how could we bring greater intelligence to to design projects? Um, How did we bring more visibility and transparency and context to the work of design so that as people work together, as design work was reviewed cross-functionally, as people could make sense of it, the conversation around a design was more informed uh, and, and the projects themselves kind of were more substantial. If you look at what takes place today, 
oftentimes somebody is designing something in, in a tool like Figma and, and I'll send you a URL or, or a prototype and be like, hey, what do you think? It does a great job of getting people right into the design, but the challenge is that there's just so much context that's missing. So we hear a lot from customers that in those situations, feedback ends up being really lowest common denominator. It's like, ugh, I don't like the color blue or like, why are we using rounded corners? Rather than somebody starting with understanding the scope or the problem or the goals or um, the various iterations that had been tried and tested and what was user feedback on it. So notebooks are really a place to capture all of that context. So when you're saying to somebody, take a look at my work, what do you think? It's not subjective feedback, right? It's contextual grounded feedback. So we wanted so that's really the piece with the project part. Second is we wanted to provide just more opportunities to level up process for design teams. A lot of process is implicit. Oftentimes in design, there's a lot of back and forth and circular ways of working. And so many design leaders that I talked to today are really trying to invest in how does their process work. So there's a lot of affordances in notebooks around bringing process together, whether that's standardizing project stages and how those manifest themselves in statuses. We do a ton of bi-directional integrations between tools like GitHub and Jira. So rather than a designer having to update all these places, if you link the two, they update themselves, which is awesome. Uh, so a lot of stuff around process. And then lastly, people intelligence. There is no tool today that actually measures the work of design teams and gives design leaders meaningful insights into what's working, what's slowed. So notebooks feature this really incredible insights component to the product where there's a lot of data that's surfaced on how teams are working. What are people doing? There's a whole, whole section in there that enables people to be more proactive and say, every time you you get to the stage in your process, things slow down. Like you might want to look into that, right? Those are the three things that, that, that we're trying to solve for is, is how do we bring greater design intelligence across those three dimensions of the way teams work in complement to the drawing tools and incredible visual asset creation tools that teams are already using. I remember a big part of the story. If you're talking about outcomes, well, now it's not just the design team's opinion that matters right. or inputs that matters. The product get, needs to be involved, maybe even finance or, or whoever. Are, are you seeing interest in notebooks that goes beyond just the design team? Is that happening? Yes, we're hearing that from not only customers internally. I, I was talking uh, to my head of finance who said, when I'm doing budget worksheets or when I'm doing other pieces, I don't want to send somebody an Excel file. I can't call attention to the things I want to call attention to. I'd love to send somebody a notebook and say, like, here's all the context about the budget that I'm working on. And here are the main things that I want you to know. One of the things that excited me and excited the exec team at Abstract about the long-term potential for notebooks is the promise is so much bigger than just design. That's our existing customer base. We have a lot of deep contextual understanding of how design team works. So it made a lot of sense to start there. But if you look broadly, we have awesome tools for doing the functional aspects of our job. Finance teams, marketing teams, sales teams, they all have great platforms for the deep work. But when they have to work across team boundaries and get feedback from other people, which 
has to happen in work today. There's no platform that enables that. I spent a lot of time at GitHub and was really fortunate to work there, went to Slack afterwards. Both of those experiences really shaped my thinking about this. In particular, if you look at how software developers work today, every developer uses an editor, right? That's the place where they write code. And it's this incredibly beneficial and customized place for them that's a space for creativity and a space for problem solving. But it's not where they collaborate with other people. Most developers, when they want feedback on code or, or want to get reviews and input, they'll use a pull request, which is this space where they can say, these are the changes I'm proposing. Let's talk about them. Let's understand whether these work or these don't. I think that dynamic should exist for every team inside of a company. So we're just getting started on this piece with design, but there's definitely a long tail expansion here that I'm really excited about. So not only the collaboration between design and other departments, but even maybe collaboration that has nothing to do with design eventually. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, what's so interesting about the concept of intelligence and this shift from outputs to outcomes. I think right now it's really acutely felt in design. But if you think about it strategically for a moment, it's similar pressure for all parts of the business. There's not a single team inside of a company today that can just get by producing assets or tactically doing things. Everybody's got to be pulling in this direction to try to get the company where it's trying to go. What what I'm excited about with the narrative and the strategic direction we landed on is, is there's a long tail here. Outputs to outcomes is a human story. The idea of needing platforms that bring greater intelligence to the work, it's something that's acute everywhere. Every team I work with or And even a lot of people online ask me, how do you know when the story is working? One of the things I do with all the teams, we start taking it out and sales calls, like that's where the rubber hits the road. Like, does this really make sense to a prospect? Does it create the urgency and stuff? And I remember you told me something really interesting happened. Do you remember what you said? Yeah, as we started to take it out to calls, and as we started to dig into the story and the, and the narrative, those calls shifted from, uh, how would I describe it? I, th- I think oftentimes when I'm going to be hearing about a new product, there's a little bit of a level of detachment that takes place. Like, I'll listen to this thing, but you really have to prove it to me. It's probably not relevant, but I'm going to be courteous and you know give you my time. And what I saw is like calls would start with that stance of like, I'm here, but like this better be a, a good 30 minutes. And 10 minutes in, people were leaning in. This was in the fall of last year. So still height of COVID, everything was on Zoom. But you would see people lean in on video. People would just open up and say, they would stop kind of mid-narrative and be like, let me tell you about this. Yes, this is the exact thing that's taking place. And like, here's the workarounds I'm trying to do. And here's why it's so hard. And I think what I said to you is I I almost felt like a therapist (laughs) to people that telling this story struck such a chord that people felt seen in a way that I don't know that they previously felt seen. Um, And that gave them the opportunity to say, here's what's hard. Here's what's broken. Here's what's not working for me. And it just changed the the tone and the stance of those conversations in a way that completely blew my mind. I was talking to one of our reps last week who was telling me that she's been using the story and, and talking about design intelligence, in particular, talking about 
the shift from outputs to outcomes. And she said that people just, you know, same experience I have, just heads nod, feels like this kind of therapeutic session. And she said last week, three of the four calls she had in one day, when she talked about outputs to outcomes, people are like, yes, that that that's on my top three priority list for my team. Like that's the shift that I'm trying to make. So And then we're working on subsequent versions of our website as we get closer to uh, general availability release for the product. And the story will be told in a much more bold way at that point in time. I love that. I I use that now. People will ask me, well, what are we looking for? And these, well, do you feel like a therapist? You know, like (laughs) that's, that's, that's usually a good sign. Obviously, you didn't come up with this narrative out of thin air. It was partly your own experience. Part of it was we were talking to customers. Customers, and I don't think anyone literally said outputs to outcomes, but there were echoes of it. But one of the interesting things about your project was you came in not only as a new CEO, but the new CEO with the previous CEO and founder staying on and still playing a huge role in the company. Yeah, it's true. So Josh Brewer, who co-founded and, and was the CEO of Abstract, was still at Abstract. I had gotten to know him, obviously, through the board prior to coming in. Josh and I have a fantastic relationship, and I think that makes a big difference here. Coming into this role, I think for me, I had to be really specific about like what am I good at? As a CEO, what's my job here? I think doing that created a ton of space for Josh to use his superpowers and the thing that he's really good at. So together, the two of us are really complementary. I've focused a lot on operations, just the mechanics of how teams are working. How do we get better and better at at doing things at speed and, and with a particular degree of quality? And Josh is a designer by trade. I'm not. (laughs) I'm a marketer. So I think Josh brings this expertise on design and how design teams work that is really valuable and is knowledge that I don't have. So Josh, it was really important to me that he was part of the project. He was a huge part of the work that we did with you. He just surfaced a lot of great stuff around what's hard in design today. He was that gold mine of what's not working for design teams that I think helped produce a lot of fodder that got us where we were. Yeah, there was something we had in the deck. It was like some page where everyone thought it was great. And he was like, nope, designers are going to hate this. Yes, <laughs> and, and he and was right. He was right. <laughs> yep. And so obviously we changed it. But I think there was this interesting dynamic where he obviously hugely respected you and I think was super happy that you had taken on this role. At the same time, he had a little bit of attachment to certain ways that he thought about abstract and talked about it. There was a little bit of clinging to that at the beginning and then a gradual feeling comfortable. It was really a credit to him that he came to embrace it. Yeah, he's someone who has just incredibly high EQ, just like such a self-aware person. I feel like goal for me is to have that level of self-awareness, which I think is so cool. But the dynamic you're describing, I've got to imagine for you, Andy, exists in a lot of places, regardless of whether there's a founder who's still there or old team, like because my background was in marketing, I think wasn't the first time I've seen companies try to change the story and try to use the story to influence the strategy. There's always that old guard, new guard dynamic that takes place. We were really lucky because 
there's just a lot of openness to new ideas. One of our values as a company is curiosity. And we, when we say it, we mean it. People approach stuff with a lot of, I don't know about this, but I'm willing to be open to it. I'm willing to learn more, which helps. But I mean, you see this every day. Folks often start resistant to new ideas. Yeah. And I think this really is the work because mm-hmm. one of the things that we have to decide right up front is who is going to participate in this work. So, you know, I asked for the CEO to lead it, but I think it's very important to have alignment among the team, especially in a very large company. We can't have everybody. I usually ask the CEO, uh, and I probably said this to you, like we want a mixture of the people who know the story, like the inputs to it, and also the people who are just really crucial to own it going forward, who have to smell their scent on it. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that you brought Josh in was very, very important. Yeah. I mean, because not only does he have the expertise that we needed, but his backing, I think, inside the company was really important. It was an interesting time to be doing this work because the the climate in which we were working was so heightened. People at that point hadn't seen each other in person in like seven months. Everyone was working from their homes. There was a lot of stress, a lot of like allostatic load on people, like everyone was burned out and overwhelmed. And in the best of times, I think there's resistance to change and resistance to new narrative, but particularly at the height of COVID, people couldn't cognitively take more. And I remember you just being incredibly helpful on how did we bring people along on the journey? It wasn't just me who took it out on sales calls. It was our sales team. And we had them talk at all hands about like what was working and what were they hearing from customers. We recorded those calls and those notes and made them available to people. When we got pretty close to the narrative, I pitched it to the whole company. At an all hands, I told people the story, which was a really, really, I think, not only powerful, but galvanizing moment at abstract where we we got to look at what our identity was and what was the story that we were telling about it. So I think there were a lot of factors that we had to work on. This is an organizational change and how did we be intentional about it um, and, and really bring people along on the journey, even if they weren't in that core project group, which was really small. One of the things I remember happening was you got the story and said, okay, great marketing team. Now go execute on this. And yep. marketing team said, what are you talking about? Like, this is a <laughs> sales deck. This is not a, a marketing messaging house. And I'm asking teams to go the opposite way of where they've normally gone. The sales deck is normally looked at this narrative thing, normally looked at as kind of an output right? Um, of some, I don't know, messaging house or like yeah, positioning templates project. or something. Yeah. I'm saying, let, let's make this the starting point and then tell that story everywhere. Yeah, you, you can go build the messaging house, but build it off this. One thing I started doing after our project was, while we're taking it out in sales, also have marketing start building something that is guided by this narrative that we're telling. In some cases, it's been the top of the website. It's been like a webinar or a conference that they're doing, like, weaving in the messaging so that we're getting some practice at, oh, well, how would we tell this story if this was the the North Star? Uh, So thank you for letting me know that that was an issue because it's really helped as I've worked with other teams. Yeah, it's interesting coming to CEO role by way of marketing because I think the frameworks on messaging are so 
fixed. It's like we have this top line and the three supporting pillars or whatever it is. And teams, I think, are really habituated to working from that. So it's like a total mind shift for those teams. The big thing that started to unlock it for us is when we started to do the the features page and really look at how did we want to talk about the product? Because it wasn't just selling features and functionality. It was selling a story about the way people work. And the features page for notebooks really first and foremost talks about the design process. It talks about how teams work and it looks at the shift from outputs to outcomes through that lens. And I think that was a big aha moment, but yeah, definitely interesting to think about that change for how marketing orients its work. One sign that the narrative is really taking hold is that when we do get to that feature talk, like the, the packaging and context, even maybe sometimes the naming fits to the story that we've built. How does this strategic narrative play a role in your leadership, maybe outside of sales and and marketing? Big thing for me is that it wasn't just the words that sales use or the words that marketing used. It was our company strategy. I've always had a little bit of a beef with the ways that strategic planning happens inside of companies because I think we produce these huge monolithic documents that are full of decisions and all of these particular pieces. And as soon as they're done, they're irrelevant because the world changes so quickly. And how do you operationalize these massive documents inside of a company. The thing that I care about is less the fidelity of the plans that we write down and more how do people make decisions in the moment? How do I equip every person at Abstract with some sort of lens or filter that they can use to say, I'm faced with a choice. How do I make the choice that gets us closer to that? So I think you helped unlock that for me as a CEO because the thing that I want people to ask is like, does option A or option B in a choice trade-off get us closer to being a design intelligence platform? Does it live up to that as our strategic vision and mission? I, I don't know. I just, I came to the project with a broader set of expectations. I didn't just want a story. I wanted like a living, breathing narrative that could influence so much more on a day-to-day basis. Any advice for CEOs who are going down this path? One is just having to have a profound level of trust for the process. I remember early on, we'd had the first workshop with everybody and we generated a bunch of ideas and you and I were on a Zoom call trying to refine them. I was just in a really bad mood (laughs) because I was just putting so much pressure on myself to like find gold and to find, I don't know, irrefutable truth. And I I don't know if you said this exactly, but I remember you kind of being like, trust the process. The story is going to emerge. Alan Moore talks about the concept of the idea space and how he believes that there's this dimension outside of the dimensions that we live in that's where ideas live and like ideas find people as the conduit to break through. And as I like gave myself more slack and let the process have a little bit more slack, like that definitely manifested itself. Like ideas came and they were the right ideas. So trusting the process would be one. And then I think the second is just the importance of 
commitment to this being bigger than just like your homepage copy or your sales deck. The reason why I like your process and the reason why I think it's so fascinating that you center it around the CEO is to me the way human beings work and relate to each other. You know, we are storytelling creatures who understand the world through stories and tell each other stories about all sorts of things, who we are, what we like. And so I think for the CEO to really be a chief storytelling officer is so powerful. It's such a shift in leadership where it's not necessarily about firm top-down directives or getting in the weeds on decisions. It's about how do you commit to this story and find ways to consistently bring this story to life that gives people something to believe in. Because when I think people inside of your company and outside of your company really believe in the story, that's where magic happens. I recorded that conversation weeks ago, but I keep coming back to it because sometimes people say, nah, strategic narrative, it's just a marketing thing. And while marketing clearly has a huge role to play in building the narrative and telling it, what Kelly says about giving people in her company a North Star by which to make decisions really reconfirms for me that the strategic narrative is a strategy thing, a CEO thing, a leadership thing. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela Mae Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Kelly Watkins, Sarah Hauschar, and everyone at Abstract. Special thanks also to Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Judy Raskin, Crystal Brawley, Amy Kiter, Tyler Smith, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company's story is the company's strategy. Design intelligence, to me, that's beautiful. What's beautiful about it? They're two beautiful words put together. Uh huh. It says everything you want to say about it, adding so much more to just looking at the design, what's behind it and what it could produce. As she says, output to outcome. Did she come up with that phrase? She did. Yeah, that was another beautiful phrase, I guess.